Before we get to our main feature, please enjoy the trailer. Rated PG. Do you like hearing about ridiculous and bizarre true crime stories from all around the globe? World's Dumbest Criminals is a podcast devoted entirely to that. We have con men, lottery fraudsters and guys who are wanted for murder calling the cops about their fries being lukewarm. Dine and dashes, costumed arsonists and incels who stalk lesbians in an effort to play their music to them. We've got perverts of every variety, including Swiss cheese, zucchini, train gropers, public monkey spankers and face-licking local city council members. Let's not forget about the fast food drive through tantrums, fake abductions, and amateur rappers who try to attack their rivals but end up firebombing the wrong house. If hearing about these kinds of antics sounds enticing, be sure to check out World's Dumbest Criminals podcast. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts and several clown-infested dilapidated shacks on the outskirts of town. And now, brought to you by CK and WWFD Productions, we carry on our journey into popcorn and monsters. Tickets at the ready, please, for Chapter 4. Larry sat on the red beanbag chair, feeling ever so squished taken aback by the gigantic being on his lap, crying its eyes out. Luckily, even though Larry was raised in the UK, he had not only developed emotions, he also knew how to use them. So, forgetting completely about everything that had happened to himself recently, he automatically cradled the mammoth creature and set about saying, There, there, and rocking him gently. It took a little while, but a more relaxed monster, who, after Talbot had gotten a better look at his new accomplice, had now decided to call Lumpy, but in a nice way, managed to get to his slab-like feet. Larry then tried to pound the life back into his own legs, which caused a bloody memory in Lumpy's mind, but he wasn't quite sure why. Finally, he was able to stand, and the two of them looked at each other eye to shoulder. Not sure what to do. Larry, even though he was currently in wolfman form, resorted to something that he was familiar with in his human life and stuck out his hand in the traditional handshake position. Lumpy looked with heavy hooded eyes at the hairy digits, put his shovel-like hand beside it and gave a hopeful little smile. The Wolfman Potential eater of raw flesh, killer and destroyer of lives, inwardly said. How cute was that? He gently held the huge hand and raised it once and then down again. Eventually. It was a very big hand. The two of them felt a bit more comfortable with each other. And Larry felt almost obliged to give Lumpy the tour of the cabin when he realised he hadn't given that to himself. He had barely arrived here when the excitement of the fuzzy door happened. 
The only thing he had gotten was the smell of long-ago cooked meat, but he looked round and he could see no kitchen or stove. The cabin was basically one large empty room. Pretty big now that he had a proper look. Was it this big before Lumpy got here? He wasn't sure, but when he arrived it felt more claustrophobic. However, he had gone through a lot very recently, and it would be fair to say that his judgement was slightly askew. It was a big room, though. He could easily lay seven lumpies end to end down the length of the stone walls, and maybe two and a half from floor to the wooden ceiling beams. It was just as well that it was a high ceiling, though, because Lumpy suddenly stood ramrod straight. Blimey, he was tall. And sniffed the air in an almost wolf-like fashion. He slowly turned and found the source. It was the door. The door was back, and very much solid. Pointing at the door, he looked intently at Larry, and then clasping his hands together, he put them over his heart and seemed to visibly relax. Larry understood immediately and nodded his head. Pointing at himself, Larry gestured to the door in a go-through-it motion. Lumpy looked dubious. His emotional vocabulary was rapidly increasing. Larry tried to reassure the giant child in front of him. We'll be fine, you humongous lump of a man. I have a good feeling about this. They walked the short distance to the door. Before they went through, Larry pondered what was on the other side. Was it heaven? Was it hell? Was this some weird waiting room before you moved on? Could this be a trap? Some elaborate and almost unbelievable scheme to ensnare nature's aberration than have them stuffed and mounted. That would fit in with Lumpy being here. My God, think of the stuffing. However, not wanting to believe it was a trap, he stood beside the doorknob and felt a reassuring clamp of Lumpy's hand on his shoulder. But as he was about to grasp the handle, it vanished, and time seemed to slow. As his head turned very, very slowly, he heard the soft thwomp of someone, or more likely, something, landing on the red beanbag. Time, once again, had resumed normal service. Larry and Lumpy looked down into the faces of their new inmates. One had a widow's peak and seemed to prefer the colour black when it came to clothing. The darkness of the clothes were in direct contrast to his skin. The skin was so white it was almost translucent and the veins on his neck reminded Larry of rivers on a map. He also seemed to be nearly spherical in shape. This was neither good nor bad, of course, just surprising. His eyes were red, but Talbot, with his new sense of height and smell, wasn't sure if this was caused by a sense of evil or an indulgence of gin. The most notable thing about him was his teeth. There was a definite point to his teeth. The other new arrival 
could have been a cousin of Lumpy. Lumpy, for all his less-than-standard appearance, at least had a head that was one recognisable shape. This other? Not so much. You can look at some people's faces and say something along the lines of Oh, they've had a hard paper round. Or they've had an interesting life. Or they have character. The new arrival had a face that had plenty of character. Enough to populate Tolkien's Middle Earth. He was almost as wide as he was tall, and with the various positionings of his facial features, he looked like the wardrobe version of Mr. Potato Head. After an earthquake. He was wearing a suit that looked like it had been dug up. Funny story. He was also wearing a leather apron with matching gauntlets, so he had been working whoever he was. A silence filled the air. Even for beings that would be defined as supernatural, Larry knew that this was flipping weird. So he gave them a moment before saying, Hello, new people. Welcome to the oddness. We don't know what's going on. Please, take your time. I appreciate that. I am indeed a little out of sorts and need to adjust to the situation. The cultured voice that came out of the misshapen mouth of the leather-clad individual surprised Talbot, and then he started to wonder if he was being a bit too judgy. Excuse me, chipped in the toothy gent. I do believe I am in a tricky predicament. Well done on the observation, master. The lumpier one bowed his head with hidden mocking eyes. As they struggled on the red beanbag chair. Quick side note. If you want to prove to anyone with ideas about one race being superior to another, then put people of every kind into a beanbag chair and tell them to get up gracefully. Beanbags, the great equaliser. As they continued to struggle, Lumpy went over and, grabbing each one by the collar, lifted them with a grunt and placed them on their feet. He gave them an innocent smile and bowed slightly to both of them. As they got themselves sorted, Larry looked round the cabin again. This time he noticed definite changes. It was bigger again, certainly higher than it was, and while the walls were still made of stone, these were bigger. More like the ones in his great-grandfather's dungeon, something he did not appreciate at all. Larry was brought out of his thoughts by the cultured voice saying, I love what you've done with the place. The sarcasm was down at a low level, but definitely there. On a more pertinent note, though, may I ask why you have brought us here and what you intend to do with us? Larry hadn't even considered that. It made sense, though. Oh, we just got here ourselves. Separately, I mean. We're as in the dark as you are. My tall companion here fell through the same ceiling as you did, and I, well... I got here not long before that, and I have had a hell of a time. Larry's exasperation as he finished talking seemed to convince them, and they all relaxed. What about yourselves? How did you end up here? Tell us your story, and maybe you can shed some light on the situation. 
Well, first of all, let me introduce myself. My name is Gerald. Gerald Igor the Many. I am going to be as straightforward as I can, because I am having a hard time processing this, and I do not like to feel that way. I was hired by the Count here, to help him with an experiment. The experiment was to create a companion, a Countess, if you will. He could have easily created himself a vampire lady friend from one of the many maidens of the nearby village, but he is involved in a rather long-term rivalry with a mad doctor, you see, and preferred this way to try and show that the doctor wasn't the only one who could try and create life. He's an imbecile. He's always getting credit for my work. Yes. Thank you, Count. Anyway, one second we were both in the Count's castle, where the Countess lay lifeless on the slab in the laboratory. The Count gave the order to throw the switches, and amid a shower of sparks and with the smell of burnt air in our noses, here we are. Has anything like this happened to you before? Not even remotely. Larry looked at the Count, but he seemed to be fiddling with his clothing and basically not paying attention to anything else. Okay, I may be reaching here, but you two showed up while doing something that's, let's say, exciting. I arrived here after suffering what could be best described as a rather drastic change of lifestyle. So, what about you, big fella? Can you tell us what was happening just before you got here? Lumpy wanted to tell them his story. How the villagers had been so angry with the doctor, the man who had created him, and just how angry the doctor had been with them. They couldn't understand what he'd accomplished. Oh no, they thought he was an abomination, or he was evil. He tried to express that the doctor, for all his faults, had saved his life after having given it to him in the first place by shoving him towards one of the many secret passages in the castle and that after trudging his way along the dark corridor, Lumpy did not like the dark, trying to avoid the rats, the horrible, squeaky, yucky rats. He finally stumbled through an ivy-covered exit that led outside the back of the castle, away from the screaming mob and their fire. He wanted to tell them how he had fled as fast as his long and heavy legs could take him, but he was new, and he kept stumbling like a freshly born foal. He wanted to cry and howl, but was frightened and terrified that the mob may find him and hurt him if he did. But then how he had found himself at the windmill, and that it transfixed him. It's gently turning arms and their reassuring creak. It made him feel calm, but the calm was destroyed when he heard, There's the monster! He wailed in fear and ran as fast as he could into the windmill, the dry wooden windmill. He told them that he went up the stairs to try and hide from the mob, but it didn't matter, 
They had set fire to it, and he was terrified of fire and of the people and of their twisted faces. He wanted to tell them how the smoke filled the windmill and the fire licked his body, and he wanted to tell them how the stairs gave way and he fell to what he thought was going to be his new death. But instead of the pain of his body breaking on the stone windmill floor, he'd landed on the beanbag chair. But he couldn't tell them. He couldn't talk. But when you're made up of more than one person, it can give you a very expressive face. And when Gerald and Larry took one look at that face, even though they didn't know exactly what happened, they knew the look, and their hearts broke for him. The Count was busy readjusting his girdle to notice anything. After some deep silence, Gerald said, So, we're all clueless then. Except that your theory may be right. By the sounds of it, we were all doing something that was either exciting or terrifying. I say, that's an interesting development. Talbot followed Gerald's gaze and turned to see the door where it had been before. It's back! Back? You've seen this before? Yes. There wasn't really time to explain. We don't have long. We have to go through it. I am certain that there are answers beyond that door. We have to go through. There was silence from the three other guests. Even Lumpy, who had seemed keen before, still seemed to be thinking about being chased by fire-wielding villagers and did not want to take the chance of opening the door so they could finish the job. Gerald looked concerned. However, he had the kind of face that could convey worry, joy, happiness or confusion all at the same time. But on this occasion, he was concerned. The Count seemed to be very interested in counting the ruffles on his blood-red shirt. Oh, come on, people! Don't you want to know? Or maybe get home? Or would you rather just sit here and... Oh, no. Here we go again. Time, once again, was taking on a slow-pouring honey quality. The four residents stood staring at the spot on the ceiling above the beanbag chair. The space on the ceiling started to whirl like vanishing sink water. And slowly, very slowly, something fell through the space and landed with the merest of noises on the red beanbag chair. Time once again resumed normal speed. Well, huh. That's just a pile of bandages. And that's where we leave Chapter 4 of Popcorn and Monsters. Be sure to tune in in two weeks' time for the next adventure. It's time for the new patrons and producer credits. I would like to say hello to our newest patrons, Natalie and Courtney Eli, both of whom took advantage of the week's free trial that you can get on Patreon and have decided to stay. Excellent news. 
If you'd like to support the show, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash popcorn and monsters. We have three tiers, one, five and eight dollars. If you join up at the one dollar tier, you get your name shouted out on the show. At five dollars, you also get a sticker, a badge and a postcard. At eight dollars, after two months, you also get a Patreon exclusive mug, not available anywhere else. And also at $8, you become a producer of every episode and get your name said after the show. There's also some additional rewards. There's every episode of Mirths and Monsters. That's for everybody. And also I will be writing about the history of the characters of the show, but the real ones. So if you want to learn about the history of the Wolfman, the history of Frankenstein's monsters, mummies, that kind of thing, that's also where you can find it. But now, to the credits. The producers of Popcorn and Monsters. Courtney Eli. Hello. Kelly Van Dutt surname. Rachel Miller. Amber Schilder. Rihanna Potas. Carla Crawford. Connie. Fiber Ash. Dalen Pear. Brandy Johnson. Stephanie Mattingly. Kristen Dunaway. Nicole Snyder. Nietzsche Florea. Katie Bischoff. Samantha Mason. Alicia Tully. And Ali, who increased her patronage from five to eight. Thank you very much, Ali. But that's all for this episode of Popcorn and Monsters. We'll see you again in two weeks' time. Get your tickets at the ready.